<laughs> it's the uh, it's the podcast of the year, the flagship program for the back judge. That is, of course, the Detroit Lions preview podcast. Lee Murray's with me in the polo, Reebok brand. First time wearing it and breaking it in. The, the black outline on the lion too. Black That's outline, vintage. This is like a Reebok, almost an NFL equipment. You know, we're talking two thousand, probably eight, two thousand eight piece, maybe oh nine. Um, happy to be here. Was gonna break this thing out for the tailgate, tailgate two, but unfortunately COVID threw a wrench in those plans. But the next Lions event I will be attending, I'll be wearing this polo, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, because boy, it feels good to be in it. Yeah, it's it's always good to be business casual when it comes to the Lions. Um, this is the fifth Lions preview podcast. One of them is lost in the ether, but uh, fourth, the uh, first one uh, going online that is without Patricia. Uh, this is a new year, new regime, new quarterback for the first time in over a decade for Detroit. Uh, and let's just get into it by, I wanted to start off by just resetting the narrative around Dan Campbell. So obviously Dan Campbell was hired as the head coach of the Lions in January. It was a bit of a surprise hire. I think you would agree that no other team would have hired him. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like he was really getting that many interviews. Um, and he wasn't, when you're just thinking about all the candidates we thought were going to get hired, the Brian Dable, Eric Bieniemies of the world, maybe even Joe Brady perhaps, um, someone like Tommy would be thinking that. And yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. When Dan Campbell was the hire, I, I tried not to have a reaction of good or bad to it. It was just more so a, a reaction of being surprised um, and not really expecting it, for sure. But with that said, I think he's put together a staff overall that people were pretty much surprised by, that he... He was able to get certain guys like Deuce Staley, uh, who's who's widely respected around the league, uh, a guy like Anthony Lynn, a former head coach, to come and be his offensive coordinator. Uh, but since the opening press conference where he's talking about biting kneecaps and all that sort of stuff, and I think people have pigeonholed him as this meathead motivator, and that's all he really does. And I think that there's reasons to doubt Dan Campbell, and I think we'll get into that over the course of this podcast, but I don't necessarily buy into the fact that, oh, he wore an F1 helmet, so he's an idiot, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just there to give speeches before games, and everything else is on the other coaches. Um, This guy was an assistant coach under Sean Payton. I don't think Sean Payton would have someone who doesn't know the game of football employed underneath him. Sure, will Anthony Lynn be in the control of the offense? Yes. Will Aaron Glenn be more in control of the defense? Yes. But Dan Campbell 100% will have input, and I think he knows football. So the reasons for concern would just be he's never been a full-time head coach. It's you know a first-time job for him. I think you could say it's a concern that no other team really would have hired him to be their head coach if the Lions didn't do it. I think you can say, you know, sure, I think you can maybe say, hey, he doesn't have a specialization in offense or defense. That can that can maybe be a concern of yours. But just this idea that, oh, because he's kind of, you know, he kind of speaks his mind in press conferences and just says what he's thinking um, doesn't make him automatically a bad head. No, and I think a lot of this, too, unfortunately, just with the nature of the media, is just something to talk about. Yeah. You don't see a lot of these other coaches, you know, being as eccentric or 
you know, headline, you know, worthy as, as Dan Campbell has been. And I, you know, for all the stuff you said, although it's valid with, you know, not being an offensive or defensive specialist and not being hired by other, not wanting to be hired by other teams, um, this is a culture guy. And you can tell with the staff that he's assembled, like you touched on. Deuce Staley, former running back in the NFL. Antoine Randall, former receiver in the NFL. Mark Brunel, former quarterback in the NFL. Those guys are all position coaches on the team. I mean, say what you want about Anthony Lynn as a head coach. I never thought he was a – I've been saying Anthony Lynn was a bad head coach for a while. I, I died on the Chargers hill and watched Anthony Lynn completely misfire as a head coach multiple times. He got hired as a head coach because he was a very efficient offensive coordinator. Is he the guy that I would have hired personally? I don't know, probably not, but at the same time, I'm not going to discount what Anthony Lynn has done as a uh, assistant in the NFL. I mean, he, he's, he's been an effective coach, um, and I think that the, it's undeniable that this staff and what uh, Dan Campbell is doing is building a new culture, and that's really all you can ask for with a team that's as rock bottom as the Lions have been for as long as I can really remember. Um, and it feels like there's a lot of cohesion there's a lot of uh you know they're all working together it feels like they're all working together it doesn't feel like this is dan campbell's team it feels like there, there's a staff there's a mission there's a lot of former players there's a lot of it, i feel like a lot of these guys are competitive um and i think that there's just kind of a new way of thinking and a new way of operating in detroit and in allen park right now that i think is going to be very exciting to watch unfold over the next three years um, what would you say, like, you want to see from this head coaching staff, or from not from this, but from the coaching staff as a whole? Like, what are your expectations for them in in this season? What are you looking for? Because obviously, we're not going to come on here and say this team's going to make the playoffs and it's all going to be great. Because realistically, you're completely resetting this whole thing. But ideally, this is the coaching staff that will be here for the next. You know, half a decade, decade, decade and a half. What do you want to see from them this year that would make you feel comfortable with the direction their team is going? I want to see the least amount of intrinsic feel. Like when you, as a Lions fan, and you know this better than I do, from the Patricia era to the Caldwell era to even the Schwartz era, I can remember. Like, more so the, the latter two. The intrinsic feeling that something is wrong. Something's wrong here in the game. Something like a microcosm of being in the game and uh, Caldwell having the right look, a situation like that, or from an even bigger thing where the Patricia and the relationship with the players, something's wrong. I want there to be proof in watching the game that this is a team that fights hard, they play for each other, they love the game of football, they play for their coach, and they're going to play teams close. They're not going to be getting blown out in any games because of bad uh, mental mistakes or lack of effort. I want to see a team that I almost want to see like a collegiate type of uh, of effort put forth here. This is kind of a a mix, a team with a mix of young, really young guys that are unproven, and a lot of older guys who have been pushed to the side and are past their prime. And I think that is kind of a perfect recipe for not necessarily a bunch of wins, and that's not what we expect year one, but for a team that's just going to compete week in and week out. They're going to be fun to root for. They're going to win a couple games they probably shouldn't. And they're going to lose some close games to teams that they probably have no business being in close games with. I expect that this year. That's what I want to see. And I want to feel like when the season's over, the Lions can have five wins. And I can be like, that's okay. Because what I saw this year was five tough wins 
but I saw eight. I saw uh, seventeen tough games. I saw seventeen competitive games. And sure, there was the one time where, or the, or the couple of times where Campbell made the stupid call, the stupid timeout, or there was a bad penalty, or this or that. That's fine. That stuff's gonna happen. I mean, it's football. But just, I, I feel like I want there to be almost a new breath of life as a fan watching the game. With okay, I can be okay with them, some of the mistakes that are happening because they're not effort mistakes. They're not mental mistakes. It's more so just like we don't have the talent and we're not quite there yet as a as a team. Um, yeah, I mean, you talked about the mental, you know, me, you know, eliminating mental errors as part of it. I think it's almost like a two-step thing for me this season. Number one, I just want to see that this coaching staff, which, like you said, does have relative inexperience, can put, you know, 11 guys on the field in all three yeah. phases of the game. Yeah. There's not issues getting the plays into the huddle and delay of game penalties and stupid personal fouls and things like that, you know, that you don't want to see. And then the second step to me which we'll get into the roster breakdown in, in just a minute here, is can some of these coaches scheme around the deficiencies that are on this roster without maybe, with, with, with the caveat of saying, without being gimmicky, right? Can you complete some deep passes down the field without doing a flea flicker? Hmm. Can you run the ball and get four yards without sending you know two guys in motion and a bunch of, oh, who has the ball? You know, can, can these coaches... Kind of coach around some of the holes that are that are kind of blatantly there when you just look at this roster and compare it not only to the NFC North but to the rest of the NFL. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that I don't know. I am giving you know I'm giving a lot of leeway to this year one, and I think we're kind of making that clear with kind of the way we're talking about it, but. There's a lot of rope here for them to kind of mess around with, and and I don't think that don't think we won't be watching. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely be watching and taking yeah. note, and, 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 and we'll be the first people to call them on their stuff if, you know, we don't feel like something's happening the right way, or if we think that there are continual mistakes that are consistently happening throughout the season that are causing the team to not succeed in a certain way that aren't being improved upon. I think if you care about a team enough and you care about the game enough, you can, you can, that, that stuff stands out after a while. Um, but I just can't emphasize enough that I feel like there's a breath of life here in Detroit that there wasn't necessarily with Patricia. And I was even optimistic about Patricia, but I just feel like there's a lot more of a, I'm trying to find the word. I'm going to, I'm going to say cohesive again, but I just feel like this, there's a, it's, it's, it's a very team oriented mentality that's much different from what we've kind of seen. Well, go back to last yeah. year when Patricia talked about, oh, I made a great call in the fourth quarter yeah. in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Talking about why aren't you guys closing out games in the fourth quarter? Why are you blowing so many leads? You know, number one, why are you deflecting to something you did in the past? Number two, the offensive coordinator on underneath you is the guy that made that you know horrible call that he yeah. probably is going to take to the grave with him. Yeah. Right. So you're right in just saying that there does seem to be a sense of like they're all in this together a little bit, mm-hmm. right? The players aren't against the coaches and the coaches aren't against the players and. You know they're they're gonna win as a team and they're and they're gonna lose as a team and it's not necessarily gonna be on one person. So and I think they're gonna learn when they lose. I just think that there's gonna be a lot of learning happening year one and I think that I do believe in the staff that's been assembled here and we'll see what you know. I like Dan Campbell. I'm not gonna say that this is a guy who's gonna be extremely successful in Detroit because I think that would be a little bit, you know, just wishful thinking. But I do have faith and belief that 
uh, Dan Campbell has the potential to be a successful coach, and I like what I've seen so far, and I think that all the stuff that, you know, you kind of alluded to earlier, um, the pop pieces about him, you know, with the kneecaps and Colin Coward saying it's unprofessional or Joy Taylor saying Detroit deserves better and all that type of stuff, I just think that's people finding something to talk about. And uh, the last thing I'll say about it is I think that Dan Campbell's really comfortable in his own skin. I think he's a really confident guy. Um, and I think he has an energy that is the energy of a head coach in the NFL. He's an exuberant guy. He's, you know, he's positive. He's confident, like I said. And I think that that kind of rubs off to the nature of the team. And if, and if the Detroit Lions can kind of assume that identity, which a lot of teams do with their head coach, I, I, I can't – I have trouble seeing that as a bad thing whatsoever. Let's get into these position groups then. Um, as always, starting out with the quarterback, I can't feel – like the football gods haven't smited us for the uh, situation in Sealy when the Bears took Mitch Trubisky. We were uh, dancing on their graves a little bit, and lo and behold, in one fell swoop in the offseason, Trubisky's out of Chicago, Goff is in Detroit, and Justin Fields end up ends up in with, with the Bears. Uh, so, hey man, he's here. It's only him. There's no one else really on the in the quarterback room that is going to challenge him for that starting spot. Um, if if one of the, if David Blau or Tim Boyle were challenging him, that'd be a, a massive problem. Um, I think all I mean all I really want to say about Goff is that um, I'm gonna plant my flag in the fact that he's not he shouldn't be you know Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell shouldn't be sitting there thinking wow we really got two first round picks and our and our franchise quarterback in in the same trade. Um, you can't, and, and I'm not going to change that opinion until someone can convince me that, you know, why would it be different in Detroit? If it didn't work out for Goff in L.A., which was one of the most, I guess, quarterback-friendly situations in the NFL, why would it work in Detroit with Anthony Lynn and the wide receivers that he has here? Um, and then also just want to point out that, like, Goff has been one of the most turnover-prone quarterbacks in the NFL over the last four years. It's, like, over 60 um, he, I think he's only behind Jameis, pretty much, even though Jameis missed a whole season of starting. But um, I think Goff potentially can can be competent. I don't want to like you know dump on him too much. He'll be, I think he'll be okay. But uh, I think he will end up suffering due to the lack of surrounding talent that is here in Detroit. I mean, he's working with wide receivers he's never worked before. He's in a new system. Uh, offensively, he's 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 moved. You know, he's moved to a new state. He's played California since he was yeah. at Cal, yeah. right? So uh, over a decade of playing football in California. He's from yeah. California so uh, I don't expect this season to to go particularly well for him. And I mean, as much as I don't really like to say this, I think that's probably the best for the future that he doesn't necessarily perform well enough where people start to think, oh, maybe we can build around this guy. Um, so, again, if it didn't work in L.A., why would it work here is kind of my bottom line. Yeah, I just think that people are there's – the, there's the devil's advocate argument of like, oh, well, he played in a Super Bowl and he threw for however many thousand yards and, uh, in that season and, and, you know, played at a very high level. And I just think people aren't acknowledging the drop-off of what, like you said, the surra- not only the surrounding talent, but just how comfortable um, the coaching situation is in L.A. with the Rams and – how easy McVay makes things for his quarterback. Um, and I think that's all going to kind of be proven this year with what Matt Stafford does in L.A. Um, we could be completely wrong, and I think that would be really interesting. I don't think I'll be wrong. I think 
that the Rams are going to have a much better offense this year because Matt Stafford is a better quarterback than Jared Goff, and McVay makes life easier. Um, where Matt Stafford's getting that flip from the bottom tier of the NFL in a coaching staff and offensive unit to the top tier, and Jared Goff is getting that switch from the top tier in the NFL in those categories to the bottom, um, and he's a, he's a much worse quarterback, in my opinion. So, um, obviously, I think it's fine for this year, with all things considered, but I have no doubt in my mind that Jared Goff is not the quarterback of the future, and I have no doubt... I, I mean, I guess it'd be silly to say that, but I would be willing to etch it in prophecy that the Detroit Lions will be, with whatever pick they have in the first round next year, they're, they're going to be taking a quarterback most likely because this is a team that bringing in a new kind of regime, um, kind of see what they have with golf. I'm glad they're not starting a rookie quarterback. I kind of wanted them to take a quarterback, but I would want them to sit that quarterback the first year because this is not a team you want to put a rookie quarterback behind. And, hey, maybe golf plays relatively well and you can you can ship them off you know somewhere for for a draft pick or something like that because this is not the guy I want to be wearing the Honolulu blue for the foreseeable future I mean I think this is kind of a stopgap type of player and I think that Jared Goff's career has been on a downward trajectory from the minute that you know they, they, they flipped the coin in that Super Bowl and you know this is not a guy that we've ever really liked so I don't I don't want to wax poetic too long about you know why I don't like Jared Goff, but this is definitely for me a one-year thing, and I will be worried if this time next year we're doing the Lions preview and Jared Goff is slated as the starting quarterback um, for the Detroit Lions. Should we talk? Let's talk about the unit though in front of him because uh, it projects to be pretty good. Hopefully, right? You, you never, you never really know with Detroit. <laughs> Things on paper don't always translate out onto the field, but the offensive line uh, with the left side being Decker, Jackson, and, and Ragnow is locked in right I mean, you got uh, all pro level center and frank ragnow uh pro pro bowl level left tackle and decker jackson jonah jackson played pretty well as a left guard in his rookie season out of ohio state and then i think by drafting penny sewell um i'm not anticipating it to be a seamless transition to right tackle mm-hmm. he was a left tackle at oregon he sat out the COVID year so he's, he hasn't played a, a game of football in two years, and he's changing positions. So I expect there to be some uh, hiccups there. But I really do think by bringing in Sewell at, as your right tackle and then moving Vitae from right tackle to right guard, that you're upgrading two positions um, with that. Obviously, Vitae needs to stay healthy, but I think he's a bet, much better guard than he is a, a tackle. He simply doesn't really have the athleticism to play uh, on that outside, and I think the depth isn't so bad behind him either. Tyrell Crosby and Nat, Matt Nelson are are good tackles if you you know need a a, a spot start from one of them. If Sewell or, or Decker is is banged up a little bit, um, may, maybe at guard a little bit, it, things are maybe concerning. And then if if Ragnow were to go down, I'm not really sure who would play center. But this O line figures to be uh, the the focal point of this offense really, and. As we talked about in the pre-draft process, if your O-line is playing well, then that opens up your running game, and then it opens up the receiving game. Like if the offensive line is playing well, that can that can just make a lot of things much easier uh, for an offense to operate. So there's not even though the, some of the other positions on offense are below NFL average, I think the O-line is above NFL average, and if they play that way, uh, potentially I think it will raise the level of play uh, of everyone else on the offense. Yeah. I- I think this is the best position group on the team by probably a significant amount. I think there's a solid argument to be made that this is like a top 10 offensive line in the NFL. 
um, at least from a starting five standpoint. I'm not in love with the depth. Um, I think Tyrell Crosby's a, a solid depth player. Don't know much about Matt Nelson. He's, well, he was the guy who started against the Bears okay. and kind of held his own against Khalil Mack. Yeah. So. Well, Logan, Logan Stenberg, you know. The, 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 Horrible. Yeah, he didn't have a great rookie year. Still young. But, um, yeah, I, I just really think that this is, this is how part of the culture that they're building is they went out and instead of taking Justin Fields, or instead of taking trading, uh, Devonta Smith or, or, or yeah, yeah. a receiver or anyone, um, they went out and got Panay Sewell, even though their offensive line was pretty solid last year. And, um, you know, I don't hate the pick at all. Sewell is arguably the best offensive line prospect, especially for his age in a while. And, you know, this is the way they're going to build it from the offensive line out. I have no problem with that. I really hope they can stay healthy this year because I do think that this team, the way they're going to win those scrappy games is by relying on their offensive line and leaning on their offensive line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's really a lot to be excited about on the offensive line, especially considering that Ragnow is uh, 25 and Jonah Jackson is like 23 and Taylor Decker is 26 and Penny Sewell is like 19. He's 20. He can't drink beer yet. Yeah, yeah. you got to go to Windsor, young buck. Yeah. <laughs> Vitae, I can, you know, take him or leave him. I, I don't really care about him anymore. He's 28. I mean, these guys are all, like, in their prime or even before their prime. So I think we're going to get a, you know, God forbid anyone gets injured. I think we're going to be getting a, a good few years of offensive line play if the if the Lions can – they've already retained a couple of these guys. Decker and Ragnar are long-term. Uh, so, so yeah. Jonah Jackson and Panay Sewell, we're not going to have to worry about that for a couple of years. So – I'm uh, I'm really excited about this offensive line. I really can't emphasize that enough. I think it is by far the biggest you know diamond in the rough here on the uh, on the Lions roster, and I'm I'm very excited to see how they perform as a unit. Um, and I and I do want to say too, like you said, Clep, let's give Sewell a little bit of time before we start. You know, I just am afraid that if he makes a couple mistakes early, people are going to be jumping on him. It's like the kid's 19. Like you said, he's he hasn't 20. played a game in two, or he's 20. He hasn't played, <laughs> I keep saying, was he 19 when he got drafted? No, he was probably 19 when he when he won the Outland Trophy. Okay, yeah, yeah then that's When right. he played, yeah. 19, 20, it's the same yeah, thing. I, yeah. I'll acknowledge when he's 21, I guess. Um, but it's like he hasn't played a game in two years. You know, I don't think people should be expecting him to come out and be like one of the best tackles in the NFL. I think that this is going to kind of be a process here. Um, but yeah, I, I really love what they're doing on the offensive line, and I expect them to, uh, you know... I just I really like the fact that they're building the culture from the offensive line out. I think that that's kind of the way to do it in football. I, we kind of had this mm-hmm. philosophical conversation with Tommy um, a few times during draft season, and I just would rather build from the offensive line out as opposed to the skill position, skill positions in, um, excluding quarterback, of course. Um, so yeah, really really stoked about that, and and think they got a great group up front. You know, stay in the backfield. I think uh, with with Swift. And and I mean to say, with Adrian Peterson gone, Carry On Johnson gone, I think this backfield is a little more clear now um, with who exactly uh, is going to be getting most of the touches. Um, I hope Swift is treated like the the feature back this year, which he he really wasn't last year. I know there were some injury things that he was dealing with last year that hopefully uh, he can shake in his sophomore season. But I also want to say I think Jamal Williams is probably one of the better number two backs that Detroit has had in, in the past couple of years. Um, I think he's a solid option along the goal line. I think you, in the short yardage situations, I think you might see them use Swift and Williams on the field at the, at the same time. 
you look back to Anthony Lynn when he was the offensive coordinator and the play caller for that one year, or the head coach, play calling head coach for that one year in Buffalo, uh, his offense led the league in rushing. Uh, he's been a running backs coach too. So between Lynn and Deuce Staley and this offensive line, I, I have some high hopes for, for Swift and, and Williams as well. And then you, you go down a little bit and there's Jamar Jefferson uh, coming in from a, a seventh round pick. Uh, a couple other guys in the mix there at running back too, but I expect it to to mainly be a, a feature backfield of Swift and Jamal Williams. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say too. Yeah, I love Jamar Jefferson. I really liked him in college. Um, wasn't I mean you know I don't know. It's a depth running back. He's young. I think he's going to be a good you know complimentary piece. I think that this is going to be a one A one B running back situation this year. I don't really have a problem with that. I think that uh, why put more tread on Swift's tires this year when you're really not. Compete. You're not going to be competing at a very high level. I think obviously play Swift, let him get his reps. I would say 60-40 would be totally fair, but I don't want to run Swift into the ground by any True. means. We're seeing teams like you know, Cleveland, you know, with Nick Chubb and and, uh, and Kareem Hunt. It's like they don't want to. They're trying to prolong Chubb a little bit there, and they're even in their window, and they're not feeding Chubb the ball. And obviously, you know, Kareem Hunt's probably the best backup running back in the league. But I think we're going to see Baltimore do a similar thing with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. Um, I just think that there's no real reason to run Swift into the ground. I love Jamal Williams. I've always loved Jamal Williams. I loved him at BYU. thought he was awesome for the Packers. Um, kind of do-it-all guy. Master of none, I think, and uh, jack-of-all-trades, which I kind of like. Um, good locker room guy. I think he's kind of a funny guy, you know, um, and I think he fits well into, into what they're doing. Uh, he's obviously got some experience. I think he's a good guy to have in that running back room. Um, you know, piled in between two, you know, 20, 22-year-old guys with Swift and, and Jefferson. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that – I guess the way I would put it is, like, if the Lions were competitive this year, like if Stafford was a quarterback and they had a good receiver, I'd be really, really excited about what they could do with these running backs because I think that they, their offense could be extremely multifaceted and very fun to watch if they had a little bit more outside of the running back room. I just feel like they're going to end up leaning on these guys a little bit too much. And they're still going to be very impressive, but I just don't know how overly effective they can be if the team's not really, you know, winning that many games. Um, you know, I don't think you can necessarily, you know, I just think it's a passing league. So yeah. I think it's hard, to, it's hard to really win games out of the backfield like that. Especially if you maybe say this team starts, you know, going down in, in the second half. Yeah. And you're down by two scores in the third quarter. Yeah. There's only so much that, you know, screens to Jamal Williams or, you know, hitting DeAndre Swift in the flat can, can do. But, uh, I love the running back room and, you know, young and talented, you know, a lot to like there. Another thing where I don't know how long did they sign Jamal Williams for? Three years? Two or three years, yeah. Two or three years. So, hey, I'm comfortable with this kind of being what they're doing. um, For now. For now. And Jefferson's got to prove himself as an NFL running back because that three spot is always going to be open, as it should be. Um, But, yeah, really, really like the running backs, really like the offensive line. Yeah. we said our piece about but golf. That's funny. I, <laughs> I can find myself kind of talking my yeah. being like, oh. Well, then let's go, to, let's go to the receivers yeah. then, right? Let's get right to uh, where it hurts. And that's at wide out. So, I mean, what's the depth chart right now? Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perriman, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown in the slot probably. And then you've mm-hmm. got Khalif Raymond, Cephas. Quintez Cephas, Geronimo, Geronimo Allison, Sage Surratt in the mix. Um, it doesn't look good. Chad Hansen. Chad Hansen. Little Chad Hansen action. Hey, get that Cal connection Cal going legend, with, yeah. with, with Goff and, and Chad Hansen. That's right. Um, That's right. This, I mean, this receiver room is bad, but I'm not going to necessarily, you know, blast 
the uh, you know front office for for ha- having it that way because I was very anti receiver uh, in the first round. I wanted them to take Deami Brown uh, with the pick that they ended up using to take uh, Aleem McNeil, but this is a this is a receiver room that's just not going to be very good. Uh, I do believe I I like Tyrell Williams. He was a really good player. Um, as as a role guy in in with the Chargers and Anthony Lynn has familiarity with him, but again there he's you know working off of guys like Keenan Allen um, and in Detroit he's going to be that number one dude, which I'm not really sure you know if he's up for that type of challenge. Um, you know he's also coming off a torn ACL. Apparently you know Brashad Perriman hasn't been doing much uh, noticeable in camp. Amon Ra though has looked has looked nice according to training camp observations. And Khalif Raymond has also flashed a little bit. But, um, I mean, I, I would venture to say that... Would you venture to say this is the worst wide receiver group in the league? I wouldn't venture. It is. Well, who's worse? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't even know if a team's close to being yeah, as bad as I this mean, or, or worse. Like, this is, this is a terrible receiver group. They're terrible. None of these players would be better than a wide receiver three on any other team in the NFL, I would say. Like, I don't know. Maybe that might be a tiny bit. Who, who is Brashad Perriman to number two on? Who is Tyra Williams to number two on? I, I, I don't think this is a terrible... Maybe New Orleans? Like, I guess New without Orleans, Michael maybe, Thomas? If Michael Thomas is yeah. here. Yeah, sure, sure, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they want to give the looks to other guys. I don't know. Um, I will get on my soapbox a little bit about the front office. I would have loved them see to, get a, to see them get a little bit aggressive and trade for a young receiver, maybe. Um, I know James Washington. Uh, maybe yeah. James Washington. I wouldn't hate that. I don't necessarily like him that much. Maybe I, I, the, the name that came to mind for me was David Duvernay. That's a player I really liked mm-hmm. last year. He's kind of buried in Baltimore. They drafted two receivers this year. They signed Sammy Watkins. He didn't get much play last year. He was very effective on special teams. A guy who I think is really effective out of the slot and just come in and compete with Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, I know Amon Ross St. Brown was drafted. They were drafted in the same round. Um, I think Devin Duvernay is probably a better player. I know Tommy might not agree with me on that one. He's an Amon Ra guy. And nothing against Amon Ra, but get someone to come in and compete with him in the slot who's like a young buck who like wants, you know, has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And I'm not trying to centrally focus on Duvernay. There were swirling rumors about Denzel Mims getting cut, all that. Maybe get aggressive and trade a fifth-round pick for Denzel Mims. Or, or, I don't know, get a good young receiver in. Or, 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 or hey, when, when hey man, well, don't be surprised when cuts come. Yeah, you know, there's there's a surprise cut somewhere, and well, we talked about our our, our little uh, our little pipe dream was the Jameson Crowder three yeah. year reunion from us. Yeah, I, I think that you know if, that's a good candidate. Jameson Crowder were a guy. I don't think he's going to get cut anymore. But there were there were rumblings early in the offseason that he was going to get cut. That's a perfect guy to bring in with a kind of a chip on his shoulder because um, I just think that this passing attack is going to be so heavily reliant on. Hawkinson, who we're going to talk yeah. about next. I just think that it's going to be... And even the running backs. And the running backs. It's just yeah. going to be really hard to, like we alluded to already, I mean, a pass. this is a this is a passing league, man. This is yeah. a passing league. And if Tyrell Williams is the best receiver you have on your football team, um, that's a major problem. That's a major, major problem. And you can't expect to win games through the air that way. Um and so. I mean, it's and it's crazy just to think about the turnover too. It's like you went from Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Amendola, who was yeah. decent in the yeah. slot, to Tyrell Williams, Brashad Perriman, Amon Ross St. Brown. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, it's just it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I'm kind of excited for the preseason games just to kind of see what they have maybe further down the roster, even if there's anyone that can come in at Travis, Travis Fulgham-esque. And and because I mean someone's gonna be catching passes from Jared Goff on the outside this season. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I mean, let's go to tight end. Um, Hawkinson last year kind of cemented himself as one of the better tight ends in the NFL. I don't think he's in that elite tier. I don't know if he can get to that elite tier just because he is somewhat athletically limited. Um, But he he's just a really solid tight end. You know, can block. Can, can catch the ball. I think he might run into issues this year just because there's no one else, really, that can threaten defenses, right? And, and they may just say, all right, we're going to put the safety and the linebacker on mm-hmm. Hawkinson. Like, hey, don't even worry about Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman. We're going to man up on our yeah. corners, and the safety can, can look after Hawkinson, and they'll double-team him, right? So I don't think – I don't know how good of a season you know he can have – um, I would like to see him have a 100-yard receiving game. I don't know if stats are on everything, but he yeah. still doesn't have one through two seasons. Um, over five and a half TDs? Over five, yeah. I don't want to get too uh, gambly on the Lions podcast because that's not what this is about. But And I don't usually take player props, especially overs, because there's always you know risk of injury and all that. TJ Hawkinson had six touchdowns last year on a team with – more talent on the offense, and I know the quarterback was better, but I just think he's going to get fed the football like way more this year. Um, his prop on DraftKings for touchdowns was five, over five. Um, I just think like five is kind of the floor for him. I don't see him getting four touchdowns. I think if TJ Hawkinson only gets four <laughs> touchdowns this year in 17 games, that's just like a major problem. Um, I expect him to get like seven or eight touchdowns this year. That's kind of where I would put the number at I don't know if that's crazy maybe a little bit of an overestimation but um yeah I mean I don't know he's very good he's very good he's a very good player I like you said Clap. I don't know if I'm willing to say he's elite we'll see um he's coming he's coming to his own very nicely over the past couple and I mean around the league the tight end position is pretty thin so. It is, but what I, what I will say and what I will continue to say until Hawkinson shuts me up is it's like, dude, you were the eighth or ninth pick in the draft. Yeah. Like, you better be good. <laughs> as a matter of fact, you better be like elite if you're going to be the ninth pick in the draft as a tight end because that's what the... I think we'll have a little similar conversation later with a cornerback. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely <laughs> we will. But I, that's just kind of the price that I feel like, you know, that's where drafting a tight end in the top ten to me is valued at. You're getting an elite tight end if you're drafting in the top 10. Because um, I would, you know, I don't know. There's a whole other conversation to be had there. But, um, yeah, I would say Hawkinson is right now solidified top seven tight end in the NFL and can work his way into that top five group with a good year this year. I expect him to work his way into the top five yeah. with a good year this year. Um, we were we were Bevel boys. Yes. We were big Bevel boys. We were. Where 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 are we at with with Anthony Lynn uh, overall? I think that's kind of an important thing, which we've talked about a little bit. But he is the offensive coordinator. I'm I said I'm cautiously pessimistic. I guess like like I I'm not super happy about it, but I don't know. He only has one year of play calling experience. He notably in with the Chargers was the head of one of the more um, I guess, dysfunctional on the field. It wasn't necessarily like off the field, yeah. but. On the field, they were pretty much a mess. They pass pro on the goal line, right, when they're trying to run 
QB sneaks and nine guys on the field for four punts in one game. Um, I so I I noted you know I said this earlier in 2016 the year that he was the play caller in Buffalo the offense the offense led the league in rushing. Um, then in 2020 when he was not the offensive coordinator, um, but with the Chargers the Chargers offense led the league in passing. So I don't think he's necessarily bent one way or the other. I do think you'll see more reliance on the running game, but I kind of hope, you know, they again, it's a passing league. I hope they don't just kind of stick in, in that area. So I, I said that the best case scenario for the offense is that a strong run game opens up the passing game for a well, for well below average receivers and then Hawkinson and that golf becomes consistent and limits turnovers, I think is like your best case scenario for this offense. And I said the worst case is that the O-line underperforms Lynn is disorganized. There's injuries at tight end and running back. Golf is bad, and then uh, you know, then then the bottom for this offense is deeper than the bottomless popcorn Ford Field. Yeah, no, so, I mean uh, that's well said. Um, I see it as like a double-edged sword almost, where it's like there's the positive side where it's like, hey, Anthony Lynn's got a chip on his shoulder. You know what I mean? Head coach experience. Head coach experience for a few years, and you know, a couple playoff appearances. Um, you know. Humbled a little bit by being an assistant now. Uh, kind of matches the culture of the team, having to chip mm-hmm. on the shoulder a little bit. Clearly a guy who's proven he can be a, a solid assistant. But then there's the other edge of the sword where it's like, this is the Detroit Lions, and they just hired Anthony Lynn to be the offensive. And then you think about it in the way where it's like, Anthony Lynn was kind of the laughing stock of, of the Warren Sharps of the world. You know, the, 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 the Monday morning quarterback saying, oh, look at how funny this is. Anthony Lynn <laughs> sends out a kicker on third down, or Anthony Lynn look at the right pass pro on the goal, uh, you know, on, on a QB sneak, or they didn't get the, the the field goal off before halftime because he didn't know he had a timeout. Stuff seriously as crazy as that. Now you're teaming that with the fact that he's on the, he's coaching with the Detroit Lions. To me, that's just like a disaster waiting to happen. So there's that aspect of it. Um, I would say I just feel I have no expectations. I have yeah. no expectations. <laughs> And I'm obviously rooting for him. I'm wishing him the best, but I do not have any expectations. And boy, he's going to have his work cut out for him with the personnel uh, from a receiver receiver standpoint. I, I think that this might be uh, a year where he, he relies a, l- a little bit by just by virtue of, of, of the roster. He's going to have to rely on those running backs more than he probably should. Um, and we'll see what that leads to. Yeah, 100%. Uh, let's go to the defense. Switch sides. Uh, just to preface this whole conversation uh the detroit lions defense in 2020 was last in yards allowed 30th uh you know passing yards 28th and run but a, a combined last and uh last in points per game give up 32 points per game last year for 32nd in the league so um that's where you're starting from <laughs> uh so aaron glenn comes in uh was the defensive backs coach in new orleans so familiarity there with with Dan Campbell comes in as a first time defensive coordinator. Um, well, let's start with the D line though. This is an interesting group of, of guys. Um, as I dove into it more, I became more intrigued. I suppose um, the interesting part is also the fact that they drafted two defensive linemen in in the first three rounds. Uh, their second round pick was Levi Onzurik. Un- Unzurike? Unzurike? It's Levy Unzurike. Levi O will go with. Yeah. Uh, and Aleem McNeil with one of the, with their first third-round pick. 
Uh, Lee McNeil was a guy I really liked in the pre-draft process, so I was excited that they drafted him. Didn't know too much about Levi O. Uh, he was an opt-out, and then he hasn't really played much in camp, which is weird because it's like you opted out, so how are you injured? You haven't played football in two years. Yeah. I don't know. So that's a little bit strange. Oh, but... Barmore. I'll put yeah, that on the record. Yeah, he, he wasn't there. The Pats tri- yeah. right before the Lions yeah. picked. But yeah. Yeah. It um, seemed like they were excited to get Levy. Yep. So uh, I think – and then you add to, to the fact that you have some veterans there. You brought in Michael Brockers. Uh, you have Trey Flowers for this season – you re-signed Romeo Aquara, who had a 10-plus sack season last year. So I think the fact that you have Flowers, Aquara, and Brockers, and then Ali McNeil has been getting uh, really good reviews in camp. Apparently he's been playing super well, looks extremely strong. Um, and he is, he, I mean, he's a big dude. He's like 6'2", 330, um, you know, one, one technique, nose tackle type of guy. Um, I think that presents a certain floor, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, I mean, this defensive line has been pretty horrible the last couple of seasons. Um, they didn't, you know, the coaches didn't do much to have them, you know, scheme up pressure, and then the guys themselves didn't really do much to to get after the passer. So, I mean, that's where you're starting from. But I, I do think that there is a certain floor presented with that team, with that unit along the front line. Um, I just wanted to say I'm hopeful for Julian Okora. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Uh, he played in. I looked it up, played in six games in 2020, zero sacks and three tackles. So about as a worthless rookie season as you can have, but um, I'm holding out hope for him. Uh, I've I've kind of just written off to Sean Hand and Austin Bryant until if they if they can be not if they can be healthy and play and, and contribute at all, I'll be happy. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, they haven't stayed healthy and it's just been uh, wishful thinking. Uh, on that part so and then and then I just wanted to say too just looking into the future for Lions fans you know, Trey Flowers isn't really part of this team's future um, in his contract there's an opt-out next year for the team uh, I have it is 12 mil dead cap but he's due 16 million the next two seasons after that so they like 16 million in each season so mm-hmm. uh, he's never had a 10 plus sack season he's a good player he's not worth what Quinn paid him the dead cap would have been too much to cut him this year. So, sure, is there a chance that they cut him and then bring him back on a smaller deal? Maybe. But odds are that uh, he is one of those guys that isn't here for the long haul, but he will start for this year's defense. Yeah. Kind of a, kind of an amalgamation of lost souls here on the, on the defensive <laughs> line. Uh, your boy Charles Harris. Oh, oh, Charles. Uh, you know, Deshaun Hand, Austin Bryant, like you said. Yeah, not a lot. I, I liked what I saw from Penasini last year. Um, don't really know how sustainable that is going to be. Love what I'm hearing out of McNeil from camp. Um, I like that pick a lot, too. Um, Michael Brockers, good leader, right? Like a guy who has played in big games, has played for good teams, experienced, you know, high-level recruit, high-level draft pick, kind of a guy who, you know, he, he's, he's, he's the alpha along that D-line, I would say, from a, from a locker room and leadership standpoint. Um, and then, yeah, Trey Flowers, I think you, you covered that pretty well. Would really like to hear more positive stuff coming from Levy on his work on Ruzurike. It's really disappointing that he's not making more waves but, uh, you know, these things take time. He's young. Um, and I think this is a 
position group that they're going to continue to have to kind of chisel uh, through the free agency yeah. and through the draft as the years go by here. Because, again, similar to what I said about the offense, they made it clear that they were trying to build from the inside out on defense as well, drafting two defensive linemen. First three picks were trenches players. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, I think they made that clear, and I think that these guys are going to compete really hard, which I like, but they're, they're a few players away from really having an effective defensive line, I would say. Yeah, and then the last point on this is I would just say through the preseason, you know, Lions fans just watch to see what the D-line – uh, looks like not only just from how they play, but from how they line up. Um, Aaron Glenn is bringing in a new system. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to look. Um, word on the street, it's a little bit of like a three-four. So you'll have maybe like Aquara as your end with the you know hand in the dirt. Then what I, what I assume is it'll be Aquara as your pure defensive end, and then you'll have Brockers and McNeil in the middle, and then Trey Flowers maybe as a kind of stand up outside linebacker and then you'll have Julian O'Quara also maybe down on the line so some 5-2 looks some you know some things like that just kind of watch to see where these guys line up throughout mm-hmm. the preseason and then obviously as you get into the regular season just you know, kind of keep tabs on where they're putting guys and everything and see where this defense goes forward I think um, as we move on staying in the front seven of this defense we talked about the Wide receiver room potentially being one of the worst groups in the league. I think linebackers as well, off the ball linebackers. Yeah. Worst in the NFL. Um, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. They <laughs> may be the most washed up in the NFL. <laughs> You're getting some guys in there that are not necessarily spring chickens. I love Alex Anzalone. I just, I just, I'm all, I just always had a soft spot for him. Um, you know, I so think the jerseys in the mail. What the jerseys the, the in the jersey, mail? Yeah, no, possibly. Um, Jamie Collins is what he is. Boy, I'd like to see Jelani Javai get cut. Honestly, um, he's one of those guys. There's a couple guys in this defense, more so in the secondary that you'll talk about, where it's like, I'll give him a second chance just because you know maybe it was Patricia's scheme that was just so yeah. awful, and then it hampered their play. Tavai's just a guy where it's, hey, hey. Yeah. that doesn't matter that he's he played at 270 last year and he's lost like 20 pounds. Like, it's 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 over, buddy. You should have been born uh, 50 years ago. Yeah. Sean Deon Hamilton, don't mind that signing. Yeah, you know, another, See what he can do. kind of chip on his shoulder. Yeah. My boy Jalen Reeves-Maven has completely fallen from grace. Um, just Still on the team. They re-signed him. Yeah. I, Special teams piece, maybe, mainly. Yeah, yeah, maybe he competes in camp and, and, and gets some rotational reps with the new coaching staff. I, I don't know. Um, a lot of people like Derek Barnes from Purdue. Don't know much about him. Um, and don't really know anything about Devontae Beckett from Marshall, another rookie. Yeah, the thing with Barnes is he's a fourth-round pick. ACLs, right? Well, uh, yeah, he had an injury issue. But he he played on the he was an he was like kind of an edge linebacker his first two seasons and then this last year Purdue used him as an off the ball linebacker, so yeah. I don't know how the Lions will choose to use him. But we've been saying this for four years now. There's no one in this linebacker group that you trust to cover anybody. Mm-hmm. Like there's not one linebacker where it's like oh we can just put him on the tight end or maybe a big slot and they can hold their own. Like it's it's still. It's still really bad in terms yeah. of coverage. So, yeah, not a lot to like um, from in the front seven, man. Not a lot to like. I mean, a lot of players that are past their prime, and a lot of players that have a lot to prove. And so. then you look at you said this is Trey Flowers. Jamie Collins is another guy where 
Lions have an opt-out in his contract after this season, and it would be $6 million in dead cap, but they would avoid paying a 33-year-old linebacker $9 million. Yeah. So, um, and just the fact that if you kept him around another year, that's another year where he's taking reps from a younger dude mm-hmm. who's actually part of your future. So, he is the best linebacker on the team. You can make an argument that Trey Flowers is the best defensive lineman on the team, and these are both guys that probably won't be here in 2022. Yeah. So when you're watching the games this year, you kind of have to take that into account as well. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Just bad signings. Both. <laughs> yeah, just you know, really just bad, bad signings. Bad signings from the Yeah. Um, reoccurring theme, kind of when you when you look up and down the, the the roster. And I think that speaks to what we're saying before we got into the positions. Like, to me, this year is like a complete purge of Quintricia. Because mm-hmm. their their fingerprints are still all over the place, and sure, we want to see them be competitive. I want to see them win games, but there's only so much you can do in one off season. And they already cut, you know, they cut Justin Coleman, they cut Justin Troop, uh, Desmond Trufant, they let Galladay walk, which wasn't necessarily like a bad move or whatever. But it's like you're still stuck with Trey Flowers, with Jamie Collins, with Vitai. Mm-hmm. Like all these guys are still here, and they're not exactly easy to get rid of. You know when when they were signed so recently. So let's move over to the secondary, huh? Yeah, the the back the back uh, back four back five, um, and this is where we talk about, you know, hey, I'm I'm willing to give some of these guys a mulligan, just because they've been dealing with no pass rush um, over the past couple seasons, and and things have looked bad in the secondary. But it doesn't really matter who you are in the NFL these days. If there's five five six seconds to throw, in not even you know. The best, you know, the best corners in the league, Gilmore's, Jadavius White's, aren't going to be able to stay with guys for for more than that. So, um, I'm excited about what this group could look like. I guess um, Okuda has been getting some good uh, notes from camp. He's in the same camp as Hawkinson. Like you're the number three overall pick in the draft. Like you have to be a number one corner in the yep. NFL. Yep. Like if he's anything less than that, it's just a disappointment. Um, Amani Oruwarie has flashed. I've liked him uh, since the draft process. Um, I'd like to see him and Okuda start the first half of the season. See what you have there. Uh, Quentin Dunbar has had like a personal situation or something. He hasn't been at camp, but they cut him. Cut him today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I'm surprised by that too. Yeah. So it must have been more than whatever they were letting on. It, it was. He was gone for a couple of days due to a personal situation. I guess well, they caught the him. So, guy who, like, robbed yeah, with DeAndre here. Baker, or yeah. So um, probably not the worst thing in the world. He's not. Yeah, but the only thing is, it's like there's no veterans here. Well, you've got in the Mikel, Roby Coleman. They signed. Yeah, and you know, Corn Elder. Yeah, <laughs> brought in Corn Elder. Uh, just a lot. Of, yeah, man. a lot of question marks. Iffy, iffy. Well, shout out Iffy. Shout out, um, yeah, absolutely. That's a guy who's going to get some looks, man. And shout out yeah. Nigeria, man. Yeah, shout out Nigeria. Corn from Nigeria, man. I'd love to see that. Um, not one proven player in the secondary. No. Not and one proven player. I would, I would, and then I would venture to say the safety tandem is the worst in the league. Yeah, I mean. So, I mean, Tracy Walker showed promise his first two seasons. Last year, he was abysmal. Will Harris has sucked the entire time he's been in the league. They traded Diggs to, like, get him playing time, and he's been terrible for a year and a half now. So, and again, and he's slated as their strong safety. So, it's just like, 
Dean Marlowe is going to take his job, yeah. maybe. Like, I, I, it's maybe. pretty bad. I'm Jerry hopeful. Yeah, boy. my boy. La Jerry. Um, I'm hopeful that, like, Tracy Walker can become a good free safety. He's pretty athletic. He's flashed. Um, but at the same time, last year was horrible, um, as it was for the whole defense. But it's, you know, and it's things like with Will Harris, right? We're talking about guys like Tavai, where it's like, yeah, the defense was bad, but he was a bad player. It's not Matt Patricia's fault that Will Harris doesn't know how to take an angle to the ball, right? So it's just certain things that are just off with this this whole defense that is, it's going to be rough for them. I think... Overall, when you when you look at the unit, I think they're gonna get crushed over the middle. Yeah. Like in the passing game, like I think there's a chance Okuda and Amani can can play well on the outsides, throw in Iffy. You know, there's gonna be rookie mistakes with him, but you know, give him some run. These but, are three bottom. These are three bottom seven units in the NFL. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're we're talking about Aaron Glenn's gonna have to work some magic. Um, so when that's what I was talking about earlier, like can these coaches coach around the deficiencies on the roster? To an extent, I mean, this is the to NFL. an extent, right? But I don't want them to be last in the league. No, yeah. You know, it's it's probably a last in the league talent defense, but mm-hmm. what can you do to coach it up? And I, and at the same time, like we said with the O line, like if the defensive line plays well, that makes things easier, right? Mm-hmm. More free lanes for the for the linebackers to run through. Less time to pass, you know, easier on the corners. But, um, yeah, I think it'll be rough. Yeah. Again, but. Yep, and more more of a reason to just kind of go trial by fire with Okuda and Amani. Just play yeah. free, iffy too. Play free, you're going you're gonna to get burnt, you're going to get embarrassed at certain points because you're, you're under-skilled, honestly, as a whole defense. But just go out there and learn what you can and try to develop a little bit. Um, because, man, just cut it loose. I think that's one thing where, like, Aaron Glenn, I have confidence. He's going to be able to give them confidence to cut it loose and to play free. And I want to see that. I want to see them play free and play energetic because they really don't have anything to lose the more I look at the roster. Yeah. You know. Yep. And even, you know, obviously you said, oh, they signed Nikel Roby Coleman. It's like, that's probably not good. Like, Cornelder yeah. and him came off the scrap heap, and they're yeah. playing nickel. Right? So it's just like mm-hmm. – Man, it's it's gonna be something else for for you know I mean, and then like we talked about, Jamie Collins and Trey Flowers probably won't be here next year. So you're looking at a, a two to three year rebuild, just on the defense alone, and that's if guys like Okuda and Amani and Ify and Tracy Walker and Julian Okwara and Romeo Okwara and Ali McNeil and Derek Barnes and Levi O, like that's if they're good players. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a universe where none of these guys pan out, and you're like really starting from nothing, so not to get too. Uh, yeah, that's pretty bleak. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty bleak. Yeah. But I mean, it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. This is this is the worst roster in the NFL, I think. Really? I think this might be the worst roster. Oh man. Top to bottom. I think the Jets are worse. I think the Jets might be worse. I think it's for sure a bottom five roster in the NFL. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. It's for sure a bottom five roster. Um, should we segue over to the schedule? Yeah, let's go over to the schedule. Um, I just want to make it clear that this is a rebuild. This is yeah, this is a rebuild. This, <laughs> this is not your your usual Lions preview podcast where we're drinking sour monkeys. And- <laughs> Talking about winning ten games, I think that we've kind of been humbled by, by the past. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
of course, going to 17 games, it's thrown out my quarters. Yep. We're going to have to take this thing but, full scale. Yeah, so uh, we'll go game by game, okay. as, as we usually do. Uh, 49ers uh, come to Detroit week one. Looks like Jimmy G will be starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's what Vegas says, at least. Yeah, that's what Vegas thinks. That's not what uh, Tommy Murray thinks, no, but that's what Vegas not. thinks. But So, so you know. You know, choose for yourself, yeah. right? Who who to, who to, who to tail? Um, I think they'll lose this game, right? I don't know. Yeah. Opening at home, I think is is a is an advantage. I think the fact that Trey Lance isn't playing, I guess I'd rather go up against Jimmy G, wouldn't you say? Um, I or it's think, even. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think Trey Lance would probably be more exploitable in his first start. Yeah. In like true. However long and being a rookie and uh, you know being on the road and. You know, I don't know. I think that Jimmy G would probably be a bit of a better option. I, I don't know. I think either quarterback would beat the Lions. Um, you know, I think San Francisco is favored by seven and a half in this game. I expect them to probably cover that spread. Um, wouldn't bet it, but I think that, you know, in honor of my brother, that it's a great tease spot if you're into the seven-point long teaser. Get it below that seven. Get it. Go go to six and a half. Pick them. No, just tease oh. it. Just just seven point okay. tease. You got to tally it with another game, but just to kind of get San Francisco money line. Um, I'd love to see Detroit play hard and play this game close. I think yeah. it's a great example of how they can kick off the Campbell era, playing a game close. But I do not expect them to win that game by any means. Uh, heading to Lambeau, week two against the Packers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is back, so uh, no, not a lot of hope for Detroit there. No. And it's a Monday night game yeah. at Lambeau, <laughs> coming off San Francisco week one. Man, uh, dude, this schedule is kind of tough, bro. It's tough. The one thing I'll say, let's just keep going through yeah. it. You got, you got Baltimore week three. <laughs> so we're talking about, like, I don't even like, uh, you know, I didn't pick Baltimore or San Francisco to win their division. But I'm, we're talking about three, the first three yeah. games here, these are these are all top ten teams in the NFL probably. Yep, and well, just like organizationally, yeah. just uh, at a different yeah. level. Um, you get Baltimore at home, uh, that's a game the Ravens need to win. If the Ravens lose that game, that's, that's a problem. You know, <laughs> that's the way that I kind of see it from the other side. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I do not expect them to, to win that game. Then you take the trip to, to Soldier Field. The next week. This is a game that I think they could win. I mean, this yeah. is a game where I think they can start to... And even I'll tally in the next week at Minnesota. You get these two divisional games. They're both on the road. If you can get one win in those two games, I think that'd be awesome. And I think that's not unrealistic. To get mm-hmm. a win, you know, you find you can get your first win before week six. Um, I just wanted to see them play these first three games hard. And even if they lose all three of them, go get a divisional win. Uh, on the road. I mean, this is not an easy schedule, but yeah, I think if they can sneak, I think they can get one win by week six. I think that they'll they'll have a win by week six. I don't know where they'll find it. My first guess. Be seen, be mean going into the into the Cincy going game. Going into Cincy week yeah. six at home, I think they're gonna have a win under their belt. And I think that Cincinnati, they got three weeks until week nine by. So six is Cincinnati at home, eight or seven is at L.A. Rams, and eight is Philly comes to Detroit to play. I think Cincinnati and Philly are winnable games. I and they're both at home. I think I think home. almost like those are Dan Campbell wins, baby. Like yeah. if you're Dan Campbell, like those are wins those that are the games that you need. Yeah, to the culture wins. And I think that I think the Rams are a guaranteed loss. Obviously, 
uh, for more reasons than just the Rams being a much better team than the Lions. Um, but I think that this is a team that could have three wins by the bye week. I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. I think it's more realistic that they have two. But I think this is a team that you get your shot at Cincinnati and Philadelphia, who I would say are both bottom seven teams, maybe bottom eight teams in the NFL. They're both at Detroit. Um, and then you get to play Chicago and Minnesota. You know, and, and I think that there are going to be some opportunities there. to you know, There are going to be some close fourth quarters, I think. Yep. In 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 the in this early slate, I would I, I'm gonna put him at two at the bye week, but I the be, line would be two and a half. That, be, that'd be an interesting that'd be an interesting line. That would be a really interesting yeah. line. It would be a really interesting line. I'm gonna put him at two for the week nine bye, um, but I think three is I think there's probably maybe you know a forty or thirty five percent chance they could be at three wins. Let's just um, have a little, let's 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 rank these by by winnableness. <laughs> okay. I would say the Bengals game. Most likely. Yeah, Eagles second. Eagles second. Bears, Bears third. I would say 49ers fourth. Okay. I'll and then, and then Minnesota, Minnesota fifth. Five. And then I would say... I'd say Green Bay Green six. Bay six. Baltimore, Baltimore seven. Baltimore seven. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they can get up for that Green Bay game and yep. just get an energy win. Monday night. Yeah. yeah. The thing about Green Bay is they just... They always... They're just so consistent and they always start out really well. And they're good at home. Yeah. And it's the Lions. So, so, after the bye, you get the AFC North special at Pittsburgh, at Cleveland, back-to-back. I mean, that's brutal. That's just a brutal way to come out, come out of the bye. Um, I know Tommy would probably say, hey, they could, they could beat Pittsburgh. I think that Pittsburgh is a, it's a winnable game, perhaps. Pittsburgh doesn't lose to Detroit at home. Yeah. I, it just doesn't happen. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't think. I think they're going to lose both those games. And then you get the Thanksgiving game in Chicago. Or not, At in home. Detroit, sorry. Yep. Against the Bears. I mean, I think they're going to split with the Bears. Um, I think it's more likely the Bears beat them twice than they beat the Bears twice. Yeah, I agree honest. with that. Yep. Um, I think Felix I do think, I think we've, we've talked about the Bears. Game. Yeah, we, we've talked about the Bears negatively. I think at least for this year, they'll be good still. Yeah. Um, but I just think the future for them is weird. But yeah. I think they'll be good for this year still. I mean, they made the playoffs last year with the Trubisky Foles duopoly. Yeah. So I think, who knows? I think the Andy Dalton, <laughs> Justin Fields two QB system is a step above. Yeah. Right. So um, I, I think you're right with saying I think it's more likely that the Bears sweep the Lions and the Lions sweep the Bears. But. Be nice to get a win at home on Thanksgiving, man. I think they—I don't think they've done that since Caldwell. Yeah, no, I mean that would so. be awesome. Um, then you I, get the the Vikings next week too. Yeah, I'm so. gonna just uh, optimistically slate them at two and four in the division because I think that yeah. they can get a they can get a culture win and then just a win where they they outplay a team. Uh, Chicago most likely. Um, I think they probably beat Chicago in Chicago. And they beat Minnesota in Detroit. So, so we were, we, the 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 pre buy line was two and a half. Yeah. So we're now we're you know we're we're getting into December now. So we had the Bears Vikings back to back at home after yeah. having them on the road back to back earlier in the year. Head to Denver. Yep. Week fourteen. Week week fourteen. That's a December game in Denver. D- 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 tough game in that's the in the altitude. Mucky. That's going to be a mucky game. And that's a solid roster. And they're going to have more to play for 
at this juncture of the season, you got to assume. Um, for them, you would hope. For them. The Broncos would hope so. The Broncos could also have fired Fangio by this point. Yeah. <laughs> so there's always that possibility. I think that this is kind of a wild card game. I don't really yeah. know what I'm going to be getting here. Um, on its face, I'm going to say the Broncos are going to win this game at home. Um, then the Cardinals come to town. I mean, the Lions have kind of always had the Cardinals number in the, in the Kyler era, at least. Um, I think that... I think the Cardinals take a step forward this year. Yeah, I just well, do. I, mean, I, I do too. We both predicted the Cardinals to take a step forward. I also think the Cardinals are very aware of what the Lions have done to them <laughs> the past couple of years, and I think that they're going to kind of come into this game at this juncture of the year, you know, in the final quadrant of the season here, knowing that they need to get these wins, especially against teams like Detroit. Um, I think Atlanta on it's a winnable uh, game. Boxing Day, is it? Yep. After Christmas, <laughs> you go down to Atlanta. I think Atlanta is going to be bad, and I think this is a game that the Lions are going to win. Okay. This is a Lions win here. Tickets as low as $25. Yeah. Week 16 is, is a wrap. Week 16 <laughs> at Atlanta. I'm going to give the Lions the nod in this game. I'm going to say they're going to get their fourth win of the season at Atlanta. Maybe fifth if they can get those three wins before the bye, but I'm going to say fourth. And then you're at Seattle and versus Green Bay to finish Ooh. the year. I don't think you're winning either of those games. Yeah. Especially, I think both of those teams are going to make the playoffs probably. Probably. There's a chance, you know, Seattle's in a really tough division. I still think Seattle, if they don't make the playoffs, is going to be in the hunt week 17. So I have a hard time seeing them drop a game, you know, in front of the 12th man to the Lions. Um, and then Green Bay to finish the year. I mean, I just can't really. Well, so what's the line for this team in general? Five. Five. The only thing yeah. is with the Green Bay game, they could be sitting guys. Um, it's week 18. They could be sitting guys. Yep. Um, I think I think five is a great price for the Lions. I just think that's like kind of where it should be at. I wouldn't bet either way. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I just think, I just think it's that just, it's well-priced, yeah. and that, that's kind of where the number should be. Um, so let's, well, what are their, like, you know, let's say they're pretend it's still a 16-game schedule. What are their eight most winnable games? Their eight most winnable games yeah, are... Just to go for, for an eight-and-eight eight season, the Lions come out of nowhere. Dan Campbell's culture is Chicago, off Chicago. the chain. Yeah, the two Cincinnati, Chicago games. Philadelphia, Denver, Atlanta, Atlanta, one Minnesota, one Minnesota, and this, 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 like the, getting one win in the AFC North or two wins in the AFC North, like stealing one, one from the Steelers I think, or Browns. I, I think the, the, the or the last, Cardinals or Seahawks. The maybe. last one would be, be like just like a steal win, where like you beat yeah. San Francisco or you or you beat Green Bay Week 18 because they like don't. Yeah. They that don't play anyone. Kind of yeah. My, yeah, that would be. Like so we're saying the ceiling. I think the ceiling is like seven. I think the ceiling is seven. Oh, man, I don't know. I think the ceiling is six. I think the ceiling is six, but I think that it's like an achievable ceiling. Yep. I just do not think they're gonna win. So I guess I guess if it's an achievable six, then you can reach for a seven. Yeah. I just think yeah. that. I just don't. I think I think five is way more likely than six. I think four is probably more likely than seven. Um, I pro- dude, I probably think three is more likely than seven. If we're really getting down, yeah, to uh, yeah, I'd I, 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 I tend to agree with that. Three is probably more likely than seven. I think three three wins to me would be disappointing. It would be, but if they lost close games and yeah. had an early pick, I'd be like, let's get our quarterback and let's go. Yeah, let's get Goff yeah. out of here. We got the, you know, that would kind but of. But like, be, if you just beat like the Bengals, Eagles, and Falcons, and just went zero and zero and. You know, six in the division. Yeah. 
that would be a pretty listless three win season, but I think we're I think you kinda have to mentally prepare for that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a bad this is a bad football team. All right, so let's all right. to wrap it up then, what are you excited about then for this year? Like why, you know, what should Lions fans be excited about? The new team and taking baby steps. Okay. Baby enjoying steps. Enjoying the process. Yeah. Enjoying the process, trusting the process, and and being watching these guys grow. Because this could be a team that that blossoms into a playoff contender with a good quarterback in a couple years, and you're going to be really fortunate that you were tuned in when no one believed in Jeffrey Okuda and people were questioning Dan Campbell and people thought that Jared Goff was a quarterback of the future and they didn't have a receiver worth salt in the in the in the in the, in the, in the locker room. Um, I think that you need to kind of pride yourself on being able to watch them now and, and watch them grow and watch them develop and see for yourself, what you think the potential level is of this team because there's so many young players. Um, and yeah, I and I would say, like, I got no joy out of watching the Lions last year because I wanted them to lose simply, not for a draft pick, but simply because I, I wanted Patricia to be gone. Mm-hmm. So it does feel good, like you said, to, to be back with a team that uh, I want to root for. Yeah, absolutely, man. So. And I can't wait. I don't know why. I don't care if they win or not. I'm at a point where I don't yeah. even care. Yeah. As long as it's as they're playing the right way and I have something to believe in. And I'm not I don't start feeling myself not liking Dan Campbell or mm-hmm. not liking the team or not liking something about what's happening. Yep. Um that that's what I will we'll Was there a team about. is there a team I mean, this is just off the top of my head. Can cut this out if we don't come up with one, I guess. But is there like a, was there a team last year that you can think of, or like within the last couple of years that was like kind of like lovable losers? I think the Giants last year were. Yeah. A team that uh, Tommy made the Joe Judge comparison and mm-hmm. the Campbell. I think the Giants were a team last year that even if you were a fan and it's disappointing that they didn't, and especially with the way the division shaped out, they played really hard. They were a tough team to beat week in and week out. They won some close games. They lost some close games. Um, and I think they kind of did it the right way. I wouldn't say that it's, you know... It's, it's not apples it's to not apples. apples, apples yeah. But that would be the first one that kind of comes mm-hmm. to mind. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that just you could tell with the Giants there was a culture happening there. Mm-hmm. There was a shift. You know, the, the Shermer era was for sure over. I want to see... The Patricia era is for sure over. We're not dealing with a new yeah. era of, of, of kind of, you know, for we're not dealing with Dan Campbell's Freddie Kitchens. You know, yeah. we're not dealing with that. Um, that is what concerns me. That's what I would be afraid of. And you can't rule that out because it would be unfair to do that. But I have confidence that Campbell's going to do things the right way, and I like the guy a lot. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, any quick shout-out to the special teams? Dan Mulback. Oh, yeah. Jack Fox. Kicker then we battle. got we got fat we got a kicker battle kicker between battle. Fat Randy and that, Zane Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that, that'll be that'll be fun to watch unfold. Um, but yeah, man, not not much else to say other than uh, it's a rebuild, people. It's a rebuild, and we're we're a month out here. It's and we're a month out. Yeah, starts a month from today, so really excited for that for that kickoff and uh, strap in. Strap in. Strap in. Strap in. Stay positive.